0: Hello again and welcome back. Today we have a very special program, it's quite inspiring. We have three separate and unique near-death experiences. So let's get right into it. Our first story is from a man named John Davis who died for six minutes. And he talks about seeing his pets in heaven. So here now is John
1: Davis. I was at my parents' house and i was riding one of their mopeds i turned a corner really fast and there was a squirrel sitting in the middle of the road so in order for me to avoid hitting the squirrel i made this huge right turn and I crashed into a tree and i hit in such a way that i had to have the tendons on my right hand surgically reattached to the bone so the day the surgery comes and i've never had a surgery before So as they started to give me the the anesthesia through my veins, I could feel it going through my body, up through my arms, into my shoulders, down through my neck and then my chest and then to my heart. And the very second that it hit my heart, my heart stopped. So the very second that I shut my eyes and died, I opened up my eyes and I was standing in the most beautiful, perfect marble building that I could ever imagine. And as far down as you could see, you you couldn't see an end to this corridor. On the left-hand side were these beautiful, ornate doorways or tunnels that looked like they had been cut out of the marble. To the very right of those doorways, about four feet, there were these tables, and they each had four benches around the table, so people could sit at each end of the table. During this whole process, there was somebody who was standing next to me, who was talking to me in my left ear. I never saw this person, but throughout my whole near-death experience, it was a guy who was standing next to me, telling me what I was seeing and what I was looking at. He told me, this was an orientation center and i didn't think at the time anything about that i was having surgery or that i had an allergic reaction and that i had died that didn't even occur to me i was totally simply engrossed in what i was seeing and so i just listened there were people two people sitting at each one of these tables as far down as you could see my guide told me to walk over and look inside the first tunnel inside the tunnel i could see stars and i could see planets and i could see galaxies it was absolutely a magical experience that is a tunnel that people come through when they die my guide then said look up to your left and look at the next doorway so i looked up to the next doorway and there was a man that was coming through and he had his right arm on his left chest and my guide said he had died from having a heart attack he looked very dazed he looked very confused about what was going on so the woman that was right in front of his doorway stood up she walked over and she took his hands in hers and she walked over and she sat him down across from her at this table And I could see that she was talking to him, but I was too far away to see what she was actually saying. His appearance began to change. He was an 80-year-old man when he came through the doorway. But as he was talking to this counselor, he became younger and younger until he was probably in his late 20s or early 30s. Her job as an orientator was to help people remember that they have just finished a lifetime and that they're home now. And whether you want to call it heaven or you want to call it the other side that's our true home when she was done talking to him he stood up he walked over to the right of the table and he walked down three marble steps to a garden and i know people have described gardens on the other side that they're absolutely beautiful but they are so hard to describe how beautiful they really are the gardens were almost like they were alive What was happening to this man is as he walked down those three steps and he walked into the garden, there were people there, a lot of people, and they were there to greet him from coming back from his life. They were hugging him, kissing him, welcoming him home, saying what a great job you did, you did great, now you're back home again and sometimes people don't need the orientation because they are much closer to the other side than others, especially kids. When kids cross over, they don't need to have an orientation because they just came from there. The orientation is for people who who may have lived a long, long life and had forgotten where they really came from. And so that's where those counselors really come into play. And it was fantastic. I wish I could describe to you what it looked like. But as I looked down this corridor, there were people coming through the corridors, through these tunnels. It was very busy. People were crossing over all the time. And these counselors would get up and help them and bring them back to these tables and help get them orientated. So the building he took me to next was under the Greco-Roman building with white columns, beautiful white Grecian Roman columns out front. And they were formed in a circle with a dome on top then we walked in, my guide said, this is where we plan our lifetimes. All of our lives go through a planning process and we plan them with our main guides before we come into life so that life isn't, it's not just a random accident. There's purpose. There's reason. when I first walked in, there was a table. And he was standing by it, and there were two scrolls on the table. One had a blue ribbon on it, and the other one had a red ribbon on it. And I didn't know what these were at first. My guide said, these are your scrolls that you write the major points of your lifetime on. Everybody writes down where they're going to live, what their parents are going to be like, are they going to go to school, are they going to go to college, what's their career going to be, are they going to have a lot of money, are they going to have a little bit of money. All of that is prepared ahead of time on these scrolls. picked up the blue scroll and I opened up the scroll on the table and when I tried to read it, all of a sudden the scroll folded back up again. And my guide said I'm not allowed to read that until I finish this lifetime. But he was trying to show me that our lives aren't an accident. Everything is actually planned out for a reason. He said we forget it because if we knew what we were supposed to do, we wouldn't be testing ourselves. He took me to a meadow, beautiful flowing mountains or hills. And all of a sudden, I saw animals come jumping down that hill and he said every one of these animals that you've ever loved or that anybody has ever loved is on the other side as i was standing there i could see two of my dogs and i could see two of my cats running down the hill and all the animals play together until their loved ones from earth Crossover over to the other side and come back and get them. It was such a feeling of unbelievable love that they're all there waiting for you and that they play with each other and that they're happy. And then the last thing that happened is my guide took me to this field. As I was standing there, another gentleman walked up. He was about two feet from me and he was so bright that I couldn't see his face. All I could see was that he was wearing a white robe with a red sash around the waist. He lifted up his hands and he said, you must tell them there is no death. The very second he said that, I woke up back in the hospital with these doctors all looking down at me. He said, he's back. He's back. I was physically dead for six minutes. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing I don't understand is it felt like what he took me on was a two-hour journey of the other side. How could he possibly have showed me all of those things in six minutes? It's so much a piece of my life now that I yeah. share it with almost anybody that, who wants to hear about it because that's what he told me. We'll be right back with more after this message.
0: Hello again, this is The Watchman. Please join us each week for an exciting and inspirational podcast dealing with angel encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. So tune in each week and share it with your friends. After all, they could use a little inspiration in their life, too. That's The Watchman on the Wall podcast, and now you can find us on YouTube. I really love that story. Our second story is from a guy named Jeff Tolly, And he talks about seeing a future in heaven. So here now is the story of Jeff Tolly.
2: My younger brother at the age of 21 passed away. When he died, that really for me was the end. Because we weren't just brothers. We were best friends. My best friend slash brother dies. And then it totally ruins me. As bad as I was on drugs, it made it way worse. Now I'm, you know, drugs on steroids. It's just like so horrible. And it just got worse and worse. And eventually it led up to me not wanting to be here anymore. Leaving the body was the only thing that made sense to alleviate the pain. July 17, 2010, I had a whole bottle of narcotic painkillers because I know for a fact this is going to end me. And it was like, I don't know, only a couple minutes. Really, it was very, very quick that everything started to come and just go dark. So it was like trickling in. This darkness was starting to trickle in. And I knew that this is it for me. And then white now started trickling up. I'm looking down at the paramedics. So there is a period of about 20 minutes, I feel like, because the paramedics had to come. They had to be called. There was a time frame that is being blocked for me. For me, it was instantaneous. It was black and then white. And now I'm just there hovering, looking down at my body. Holy shit, I'm dead. Like I, I, I died, I did it, like I died. But then I was like, holy shit, I'm not dead at all. And I am so much better than I ever was. Felt like I was secure and that nothing could ever go wrong. There was no anxiety, no depression, no heartache, no guilt, no shame. All the stuff that I carried in my body was completely removed and gone. I was home. I'm looking down at my body, but if I'm, we're in an ambulance at this point. I'm looking down at paramedics working on me. This is when this kind of the review started happening. Everyone that I encountered, every single other person, I could feel what I had done to them. I'm feeling their pain. I'm feeling their sorrow. I'm feeling their anger. God, oh, there was a lot of that. I'm feeling that from their point of view. And then I'm also feeling those that I did do good with as well. I'm feeling that joy or excitement or things in that nature more on the positive side. But like I said, way more negative. There was no judgment. I was the judge, jury, the prosecutor. I was everything about the judge in my own life. It was me judging myself on what I could have done better or could have changed. There was this blueprint of my life and there was challenges put in place for me to overcome. And, and it was obvious that I didn't pass any. It was obvious that nothing I did actually accomplished anything. And all of these challenges were still there. They were, you know, unfinished. For me, it was just like, it's not a disappointment. But for me, it was like, oh man, I couldn't even get one thing right in this, on this list. It was obvious that I totally failed. Um, and I could have done a little better than, than this. Like, if life was the game... I I very, very much failed. My younger brother died a year before, he came up to me. He and his bubbly self was like, wow, that was quite the experience, quite the journey in a very jokingly manner. And then he's like, I want you to come over here. I want you to follow me. Then he brought me into this light room and this is where there was three beings. There was two women and there was one male guide. So the two women, they had like Victorian clothing and then a guy who had tribal clothing. So I do believe that these people were part of the Soul family or guides. They did have a glow to them, kind of light energy, but everything out there is light energy. It's It's just degrees of how bright and how not bright. So they were fair, they were brighter than my brother. They kind of lit up more and my brother was more kind of dimmed down. These beings told me that you have a job to do, you're not done, you have to complete things, you have a better life that could be waiting for you. You don't have to go back. We're not forcing you to go back, but we highly, highly recommend you go back. From that level, the soul level, there was no choice. It was obvious I'm going back because I just saw how badly I screwed everything up. And um, I'm going to I want to go fix it. We have these different bodies, one being emotional, one being mental, spiritual and physical. The emotional body looked like a blanket and it was a heavy blanket, a heavy, dark blanket is there was memories that lived in the emotional body. I can see flashes of memories. It was like a storm. It really is like the weather system of a body. It was dark and gloomy and there was flashes of light and memory was held in the emotional body, not just the mind. So when I saw the mental body, it looked like a donut like a halo if you will but just like a halo that saints have but mine was dark it was a dark halo and it was the same thing There was there was this energy flow like um like a spinning field of energy around the mind i didn't really see anything like the emotional body was very apparent like what was going on there was wild this just was like a spinning donut of darkness and then the physical body it was very dense of course because you know the physical body takes on toxicity and it was heavy and It just looks sick. And then the spirit body is the electrical system that operates the whole thing. So without the spirit body, you can't even function. These bodies were very heavy and very dense for me, and they just got heavier and heavier. And then I needed to do something about these bodies. I needed to change them. I needed to lighten the load. After that, there was this amazing kind of holographic image that completely surrounded me in this room, and it was my future. And it was like basically the future of Earth, It was very different. It it was changed so much that it didn't make sense. Say I was about 50 years old and you can tell that things were not what they are now. Something big changes the earth. Like all I wanted to do was die, but now after the NDE, all I wanna do now is live. All I wanna do now is do my best. Like it changed me to my core. For me, what really helped me was finding something, finding a purpose, finding something more to live for finding that meaning you have to give meaning to life it's not up to life to give your life meaning it's up to you to give your life meaning our destiny is like the theme we chose to play out in life but the free will is how in which way we go about that so we can go about it rich or poor right or we can go about it happy or sad so that's the free will but the theme is like you're going to overall experience this adventure and you can't get away from the destiny of it I look at the world in this way that I know my neighbors don't look at it that way. I know the people that I'm around, they just don't see it like that. When you understand where you are, why you're here, and what you're here to do, and you start living that out and really live that out, you are on that true north path. You're on that purpose road. And when you're on that road, that's when that magic happens. That's when synchronicities flow. That's when things start to happen for you. That's when more things show up to expand the level of excitement and life becomes this exciting, synchronistic journey and more like an adventure. When I was at my pre-life, it was like just a life. I was just living or surviving. I wouldn't even call it. Living. I called survival. Now my life is a, is a great adventure. Try to find adventure because when you start living your life from that point of view of an adventure or something to to you know to overcome, and when challenges come, you can really you can you can look at them as oh I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this. I'm gonna defeat this. Not oh God, I don't want to do this again. Right? Then life it just it expands on you, and you can be so much happier. I'm being who I am now is so much better than the way I was, my God.
0: We'll be right back with more after this. Please join us on the Watson News Network. It's a video news presentation of relevant stories dealing with end-time topics. Just subscribe to the Watchman on the Wall podcast on YouTube, and you will instantly have access to our latest WNN report. That's the Watchman News Network, exclusively found on YouTube. Our last story is from a guy named Howard Storm. Now, many of you have heard this story before. We've highlighted him on this show before, but I think it's worth revisiting. He's got a compelling story. He was a college professor and a staunch atheist when he had his near-death experience, and I think you're gonna find his story very different than some of the others. Here now is the story of Howard Storm. Hello everyone,
3: my name is Howard Storm. I had a near-death experience June 1st, 1985, and it changed my life completely. Prior to my near-death experience, I was a real diehard atheist. At that time, I was 38 years old. I was a college professor and completely self-centered about my career and my life. So June 1st, 1985, I was at the end of a three-week art tour with a group of my students from the university where I taught. At 11 o'clock in the morning, in the hotel room trying to get the students going, go to another museum. I collapsed on the floor with the most acute pain I'd ever experienced in my whole life. My wife called the desk at the hotel. They called an emergency medical service and a doctor came within probably 10 minutes. And he said that I had a perforation of the duodenum, which is a small stomach, and that I had to have surgery within the hour or I would die. So he called an ambulance, the ambulance came, they then sent me several blocks away on a gurney to the surgical hospital. I was at the, the Hospital de Assistance Public de Paris, and they sent me off to the uh, surgical unit, Cochin. And when I got to Cochin, I was put in a room, there was no surgeon available at the surgical hospital. For the next 10 hours, I never saw a doctor. I was never given any pain medication whatsoever. One of the things that I find very, very annoying is people always tell me, oh, I just had this near-death experience because it was like some kind of drug trip. And I was like, for 10 hours, I begged and pleaded and cried for somebody to give me a painkiller, and I was given nothing. Nurse came in and said she was sorry, but they were unable to locate a doctor, and they would try and get one the next day, which would have been Sunday. When she told me that, I was so weak, and I'd had a great deal of difficulty breathing for a long time, which is all my energy, all of my thought, all of my strength, everything about me was all focused on breathe in, breathe out. So when the nurse left the room, I told my wife, I said, it's time for us to say goodbye, tell my kids I loved them. tell my parents I loved them, etc. cetera. And uh, she started crying like I'd never seen anybody ever cry before because this was farewell forever and she sat down in the chair was crying and I closed my eyes and I stopped trying to breathe and I went unconscious. I woke up and I felt wonderful, absolutely wonderful, the best I ever felt in my whole life and I was like delighted, happy, amazed, surprised, bewildered. But the good thing was, is like, I felt really good. And I did a reality check of my body. And like, I realized that I could, my taste, sight, smell, touch, everything was greater than it had ever been in my whole life. And I tried to communicate with my wife. From my perspective, she didn't react to me. because she couldn't see me or hear me standing there, yelling and screaming at her. I turned to my roommate. who was a very kind Frenchman. I got no reaction from him. I was very angry. I was very confused the worst possible thing happened I saw that the body in the bed it looked just like me I refused to accept that that was me because I was alive standing next to this body and there was this thing that looked like me in the bed but that can't be that's not me and I heard people calling me outside the room and they were saying Howard Howard come hurry we gotta go we gotta go and so I went over to the doorway of the room and there was a group of people in the dark hallway and they were standing out of the shaft of light coming from the room. So they were back in the shadows, maybe eight of them or something, and adults, men and women. And I said, I'm sick. I need a doctor. I'm supposed to have surgery. And I said, we know all about you. We've been waiting for you for a very long time. And it's time for you to come with us. Now, I wanted to believe that they were hospital people coming to take me to the doctor. So I left the room and they took me on a very long walk a journey, and fairly soon in the journey, I realized that there were no stairs, there were no ups or downs, there were no walls, there was no ceiling. And I soon realized that it was getting darker and darker on this journey. The other thing was, is that the people that were with me, they stopped acting professionally and they started making crude, rude remarks about me. That was getting kind of scary. These people aren't nice, you know? They want to have their way with me. Eventually, we ended up in a place where there was no light at all, complete darkness. And I said, I stopped moving with them. The group had grown a lot many many people i don't i have no idea how many maybe hundreds and i said i'm not going to go any further they said you have to go you're not there yet you got further to go and i said i'm not i'm going back which was a bluff because i had no idea where i was and which way was right left or you know i didn't know which way was back so i stopped moving and they started to push and shove me so i fought back i'm punching i'm hitting i'm kicking and they're giving it all back to me they wanted to tear me apart which they did but when they had completed their job and me lying there like a piece of roadkill on the ground of that place I was still alive still thinking and it was like why what is this where am I how did this happen to me who are these horrible people there was no way out and I Heard a voice from outside of myself say, "Pray to God," and I thought, "I don't believe in God. That's ridiculous. I don't pray." And the voice said, "Pray to God." And I thought, "I don't even know how to pray. I haven't prayed since I was a child. I don't even know what to say." And the voice, very strongly and kind of loudly, said, "Pray to God." So I'm thinking, "Okay, okay." When I was a kid, I went to Sunday school and we learned prayers. So I'm trying to remember something that I'd memorized because that's what children. are taught prayers you memorized like the Lord's Prayer or the 23rd Psalm or something and, like, you know, and recite them. So I can only remember like the few, first few words of the uh, 23rd Psalm and Lord's Prayer. And I said those aloud, not that I believed in God, but this voice told me to do it, so I'm doing it. And um, the people around me became incredibly angry. And they were saying in language that's the most obscene, horrible language I've ever heard in my whole life that there is no God and nobody can hear me. And now if I don't stop, they're going to make things much worse for me. Well, for the first time in my whole experience with these people, I was able to get a reaction from them. It was a bad reaction, but at least I was, it was like I was able to metaphorically punch back by saying prayers. So I started making up prayers. Now, I've never told anybody what I actually prayed because it was very crude. Something like God is going to exploit deleted Get you. (laughs) You know, that those were my prayers. But anyways, they were sincere. (laughs) And that um, I was like using using God as sort of like the fist to, you know, bash him. And the more i mentioned god the more they were screaming at me to stop but the important thing was is that they kept retreating back into the darkness because they could not bear any mention of god so they left me alone and they left me in that place for a very long time and in that time i thought about my life and realized like what was i alive for 38 years old and i thought i was like god's gift to the world i thought it was so important i was a big shot and You know, I realized I was a nothing. Everything that I thought about myself was all a delusion of ego. And uh, I just sank into real despair, hopelessness. And then a very vivid memory came to me as a child in Sunday school singing Jesus Loves Me. I could see myself in Sunday school with the other kids singing this. But most importantly, in my memory, I could feel what it felt as a child. I mean, I could feel that uh, I loved this Superman guy named Jesus. And when I was a little kid, I used to pray to him and stuff like that. And I believed in him and he would answer my prayers. and So I don't know, Jesus, if you're real or not. I don't know if you care about me or not. I don't know if you want to hear my prayer, but Jesus, please save me. And what I meant by save me was rescue me, (laughs) you know, get me out of this place. And to my surprise, a tiny little light, like a star appeared in that darkness and it got very bright, very fast. And it came over me right in front of me. It was impossibly bright white light, way brighter than the sun times 10,000. And out of it emerged hands and arms. He reached down and touched me. And when he touched me, all that gore and all that stuff just kind of drifted away. And I was completely whole. And his hands went behind my back. And he picked me up and put his arms around me and held me very strong, very tight up against himself. And I cried like I'd never cried in my adult life. I cried like a baby with my face buried in his chest. And he rubbed my back like a mom or a dad would do with a hurt child. And it was the greatest happiness and love that I've ever experienced in my life. And I knew that he didn't just love me, he wanted me and cared about me. And I'm just basking in that great love and all of a sudden I realized my feet are not on the ground anymore. We're moving and we are going straight up. And so we're, we're moving and going faster and faster. And I'm trying to get my composure because I've been crying so hard. I finally get enough and I look up to where we're heading. And what I see is what at first I think is a huge galaxy of stars. Except then that I realize that all the stars are moving this way and that way. And it's not stars. There are other beings of light, and yet we're moving towards it. And I think to myself, he's made a terrible mistake. I'm a piece of garbage. and I don't belong here, because so I felt so dirty. And with that, we stopped outside of this realm of light, and light beings. And he spoke to me for the first time, telepathic, and he said, we don't make mistakes. You do belong here. And I thought, I didn't say, How'd you know what I was thinking? Because I didn't say it. He said, I know everything you've ever thought. And then I thought, oh, this is really bad because I've thought a lot of things that I don't want you to know that I've thought. And he laughed. So we began to converse and um, kind of funny to say, but he's the coolest guy. He's very cool very relatable, easygoing, and I called Jesus my best friend because he is my best friend. He's also my Lord and Savior and King of Kings and all that good stuff, but he's my friend. And he said, I got some people I want you to meet. And he called out with musical tones and what I refer to as angels came and he said, no, they've recorded your life and they want to show you your life. So I had a life review where they we went over my life in chronological order. And as it progressed out of my childhood into moving into adolescence, adulthood, um, It kind of went south and I saw what a selfish jerk I'd become and how much hurt I had caused my mother, my father, my friends, everybody by being so selfish. Because what they wanted to show me was how to be a kind, loving person and I was not that. I was a successful person, which to me was what mattered. And the kind and loving part was like a sign of weakness. I wanted to be the biggest, baddest bear in the woods. You know, I wanted people to be afraid of me because I thought that that's what a real man does. You know, you rule by intimidation. And I knew that I was really causing pain with Jesus and with the angels, with the stuff that I did with my life. When it was over Jesus said, do you have any questions? And I said, i got got million questions. He said, ask all your questions. So I asked him everything I could think of to ask him. And he answered all of my questions patiently, kindly, thoroughly. And then he gave me the bad news that so I had to come back to this world, which I vigorously did not want to come back to this world. I want to go to heaven. And he overcame my objections about coming back here with reason and kindness and patience. And I came back, and when I came back, I was back in the body, back in the pain, and immediately a nurse came into the room. This was now nine o'clock at night, half an hour from when she'd been in there earlier. She said, doctors has arrived, we're gonna prepare you for surgery. And I had the surgery at 10 o'clock. The next morning when I woke up from the surgery, I knew that the most important thing in my life had happened to me, and that I was gonna have to remake myself. I spent 38 years building this character. Now I've got to demo the whole thing and build a whole new person. So that's what I've been working on since 1985, trying to build a new person. And the way that I've done that is by following uh, Jesus Christ, who I believe is the Son of God. And that for a time, 2,000 years ago, he was uh, fully human and fully divine to show us what human beings could be and should be. So that's, that's the story of my life.
0: again this is the watchman please join us on our new video channel called encounters from beyond the veil it's the same exciting content as our audio podcast but in a shorter but yet a video format also please subscribe so you won't miss any of our episodes that's encounters from beyond the veil exclusively found on youtube Well, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Any comments or suggestions you may have you can send to the Watchman on the Wall 2020 at gmail.com. We encourage you to subscribe so you'll always be notified of our future episodes. Well thanks again and we'll see you next time on the Watchman on the Wall podcast.